Good morning, Shavua Tov. Today's daf is daf Kuf Chof Ches, and we're going to go right from the beginning of today's, right at the top of the page. Today's Shiz Le'ilu Nishmas, David Yitzchak, Mordechai Ben Yosef. May his memory be a blessing. Um, yeah, so remember the Mishnah we brought, we actually discussed this at the end of Friday's year, said that when there's certain, one of the Xeras of you're not allowed to do things that are what's called Tircha Yaseira, excessive work. I think they take a lot of effort. You're not allowed to do them on Shabbos. You're supposed to relax and rest and not do things. Have we said that Gezerah is waived for mitzvahs? Okay, maybe certain types of mitzvahs, bar mitzvahs. An example we gave in uh, Mishnah was you're allowed to move boxes of uh, straw and grain to make way for visit to make space for visitors or to uh, make space for a shear. So you're allowed to move them, even though it's a lot of tircha, you're still allowed to move them. Now, we then listed a whole lot of... Uh, now, one rule that this does not apply is by muktza. If the items are muktza, you're still not allowed to move them. Okay, obviously it's in a category where you can't move them, but if they muktza, this, this that we waive the xayra of tircha yaseira, we don't waive the xayra of muktza for that reason. Um, and then the Mishnah gave a list of items that you might have thought are problematic and it comes in teachers that you can still move them and that that was yesterday's daf going through those and now in today's daf it gave a list of items that are muktza so the Gemara obviously wants to go through them and find out why would you have thought otherwise why would you thought that they not muktza and you can move them isn't it pretty obvious so that's what the first one it says loisa tevel you're not allowed to move tevel remember tevel is grain that has not had it's 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 piled up, it's Bakri, you're obligated to separate Truma and Masros from it. And important for us is also coming uh, shortly, is remember from the Masa which is given to the Levi, he also has to separate a 10% of that and give it as Truma. Uh, it's called Truma's Masa, another 10% to the Kohen. So, um, but Tevil is this grain and it's also to eat. So isn't it Pshitta, isn't it obviously Mukta and obviously you can't move it on Shabbos, what are you going to do with it on Shabbos? I mean, if it's food, well, then obviously it's not mukta. And even if it's animal food, it's not mukta. But tevel's also to everyone. So the Gemara says, no, but tevel tovel midrabonon. We're speaking about something that's only tevel drabonon. It was planted in a pot plant that had no holes at the bottom. Remember, doraisi, if there's no holes, if it's not drawing nutrients from the ground, it's not really considered attached to the ground. It's not considered growing, and therefore you wouldn't be obligated in separating trumas and masters. Drabonon, you ask. It's only tevel drabonon. And even though it's only tevel drabonon, it's still considered muktza on Shabbos. Beloi maserishon. Shaloi notel trumoso. And then we said, you're also not allowed to take, move maserishon if truma has not been separated from it. Now, as I remember, maserishon is you give 10% of the grain to the levy, and the levy then has to separate 10% of that as truma's master and give it to the coin. Now, again, pshita, obviously, if the levy has not separated truma from it, from his master, he can't eat it, he can't do anything with it, so it's mukta. So what's it coming to teach us? There's no loy tricha. So, yeah, a little bit of a tricky point, but this was built on the end of yesterday's stuff. I'll say it outside and then we'll read it inside. There's a special leniency if the levy very early on in the, in the, I don't know what you'd call it, the processing, well, let's go like this. When you're only high of in separating truma when you've taken the grain and you've, you've harvested, you gathered together and you've threshed it and put it in a pile and smoothed out the pile. That's when you're obligated in separating truma. If the levy would come and take his maser before, yeah, and then it's two, remember there's also two trumas. There's truma gadoila, we often refer to as truma, and truma's maser. The truma gadoila is as he's got this pile ready to eat the tevel, the owner has to separate approximately 2% and give it as truma, gedoyle, and give it to the kohen. Then he takes from the remaining grain 10% and gives it to the levy, and the levy has to separate his truma. What happens if the levy jumps the gun and separates, takes his maser before you've separated truma gedoyle? So if it's very early in the stage, before it's high of in truma gedoyle, before it's made into this pile that you've smoothed, then he's exempt from separating truma gadoli. He just has to separate his truma master. But if he takes his grain um, after it was already chayv in truma, 
I, it's been smoothed into the pile. And the Levi takes his 10% before Truma has been separated. He has to separate Truma Gedoyla and Truma's master. So the, te- this, the part of the Mishnah which says, but you're not allowed to move Master Rishon whose Truma has not been taken. You might have thought that if he takes his master, you don't have to separate Truma, so it's not Mukta. Comes along this mission and saying we're discussing a case where it was already Chayav in Truma. So even though the lady separated his 10% of Truma's master, he still has to separate his Truma Gadoila. So let's see, Shitta, isn't it obvious that if Master Rishon has not had Truma taken, it's Mukta? He says, He jumped the gun and took grain from the pile. It was Chavin Truma. He had separated his Truma's master from it, but he had not yet separated Truma Gadoila. You might have thought, like Rav Papa said, on the, we saw him on the previous Amud, that it's okay, he doesn't have to separate Truma Gadoila. Comes along and teaches, like Abaya learned there, that that's only if he separates his master before Truma Gadoila, the Chiyuv, to separate Truma Gadoila kicked in. But if it already kicked in, then it would be Osir. Okay, then it says, The Mishnah then said, you also not allowed to move Master Shani that has not been redeemed, and Hegdesh, Kodshim, that has not been redeemed. Things belonging to the temple that are open. What's Master Shani? So remember, that's a second 10% that the farmer has to separate and take up to eat in Yerushalayim. It's not allowed to be eaten out of Yerushalayim. So again, it's Mukta. Pshitta, isn't it obviously Mukta? He says, It's where you did redeem it, but you didn't redeem it properly. This is Maser. How is that regarding Maser? You separated it on top on coin that has no form. I just a blank uh, piece of metal. The Gomorrah says you must take the money that you're redeeming the master shiny. You can't take all your grain up to Jerusalem. It's going to be rotter. Uh, it's going to start to go off by the time you get to take it up to you. So you redeem it. It says you have to redeem it onto money that's in your hand. But it uses the word Vitsorartos. He says, The money has to have a tzura. And Hegdesh. Where do we find Kodshim that's redeemed but not redeemed properly? So Shechilulu al Gabe Karka, he redeemed it with land. Rahman Omov Nosan Hakesef for Komlo, he must give money and redeem it. I let's say you donate your bicycle to the Beis Amigdash. Now, the standard thing that you do is then pay the Beis Amigdash or redeem your bicycle for the value of the. Bicycle and pay the money to the base Amikdash, and then the bicycle is not holy anymore. It goes back to Chulin. What happens if you redeem the money? You say, Look, I don't have enough cash on hand. I'll give the base Amikdash a piece of land instead of my bicycle. I'll redeem it with land. That doesn't count, and that's not, that's not considered redeemed. Okay, then Veloisa Luf. Luf was some sort of uh, produce that's raven food. Now, what's the big deal about this is who really owns ravens? No one besides noblemen and the royalty. So that should not be, so therefore, it says, You're allowed to move this chatzav, it's some sort of grass, because it's food for deer. And mustard, oh, mustard should be booked. He says, no, it's dove food. Rabbi Shimon Gamliel says, you can even move glass shards because it's, Ostrich food. Ostriches, very interestingly, they eat pieces of glass and pieces of sharp things to help them with digestion. So an owner who had dropped a glass and he has his ostrich, it's useful. That ostrich is animal food. So it's not muksa. So Rabbi Nosson says to Rabbi Shimon Gamil, wait, you telling me that glass shards are not muksa because you can feed them to ostriches? Well then, vans should not be muksa. Granted, no other animals will eat them, but elephants can eat them. Ah, elephant food. It's not muksa. So he says, no, Rabbi Shimon Gamil, no, lots of people have ostriches. Or let's say more people have ostriches and very, very few people have elephants. So something that's good. Now again, as we'll see more clearly in the coming up, but clearly we're discussing royalty or nobility. You keep ostriches as pets or maybe the odd very wealthy king would have a zoo and he'd have an elephant. But 
elephants were very, very rare and ostriches were slightly more common and therefore food for ostriches is not mutza. It says, Amema says it has to be a case where you actually own ostriches. For you to consider glass not mukta, you have to um, own the ostriches. Omar Avashi, Avashi says, La Maymar. Says, Ella de Kaoma, Rebbe Nosan, Rebbe Shim Gamil, Rebbe Shim Gamil says, Chavile is Morris, Tatum, Nation, Machal, Opilim. Rebbe Nosan asks Rabbi Gamil, Rebbe Shim Gamil. He says, Wait, you can't say glass is, glass shards are not mukta because they belong to ostriches. Well, then vines, which everyone knows are mukta, can be fed to elephants. Now, if you own elephants, why would the vines not be muksa? Obviously, if you own some exotic creature and there's this bizarre thing that you feed it, since you have it for your animals, it's obviously not muksa. So if someone does own an elephant, then obviously the vines aren't muksa. It says, must just be it's fit for elephants, so to hear it's fit. Uh, you don't have to actually own an ostrich. You just have to have glass shards, which ostriches, which are fairly common, would eat. And therefore, it's not mukta anymore. Um, so it comes out as yeah. So as we so to to make this more practical, you have to start considering how do things change with the times. Like I don't know if there are many people. I don't know if there are any more people who own ostriches than who own elephants nowadays. Now, there are probably a few more because they're probably more ostrich farms than elephant farms. Or let's say you live in India. Let's say most people, uh, not most people, there are quite a few people who own elephants or something like that. So the halacha might actually change. In India, ostrich food might be mutza, but uh, elephant food might not be mutza. Something you have to analyze and see how it would work according to the time. I find it very difficult to say that if uh, you have shards of glass in your um some uh, a glass broke on Erev Shabbos, so you swept the glass up into a into a container that you're gonna well you would normally just throw it away, but you oh no I could use it for ostriches so it's not mukta I don't know like I find that very difficult to say that logic nowadays okay but the principle is there again if it now Omar Abaya Abaya says Rabbi Shimon Ben Kamil the Rabbi Shimon the Rabbi Shmuel the Rabbi Akiva Kulus Viruluhu Kolish Rabbi Naim Alochim Haim Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Shmuel and Rabbi Akiva all hold for this concept that we view Bnei Yisrael as kings, as Bnei Melochim, as royalty. As we'll see, and he says, Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, Gamliel, as we just said. Firstly, we learned in the Mishnah that Luf, raven food, as we said, ravens, only royalty owned, kept ravens. And we also saw we with ostriches. Only very fancy, only nobles and royalty had ostriches. Yet, Rabbi Shimon Gamil says, any Jew who has ostrich food or raven food, even if he doesn't actually own them, it's not mukta because he's royalty, he's fit to own them. Rabbi Shim, so that's Rabbi Shimon Gamil. Rabbi Shimon, where do we see Rabbi Shimon holds this? Rabbi Shimon Gamil says, kings, princes, sorry, we learned in a Mishnah that uh, princes can smear rose oil on their wounds. Because they would do that on the weekday. Remember, you're not allowed to do things that are clearly because of refua. Regular people would not use rose oil unless they had an injury that they needed it for because it was very expensive. Princes, royalty, they would use rose oil like we use hand cream. They would, so it's not, it's not mukta for them because it's not special for them. Um, they would put it on Sorry, not mukta. They would be allowed to rub it on a wound because they would rub it on their skin anyway. So rubbing it on their skin on Shabbos is not apparent that it's for a wound. Rabbi Shimon says, No, any Jew can rub this rose oil on their wounds because all Jews are royalty. And therefore it's not uh, something unique to refua. Okay, and so that's Rabbi Shimon. Rabbi Shmuel, Rabbi Akiva. Where do we see that Rabbi Shmuel and Rabbi Akiva hold for this principle? So this is a very interesting one. Tatania, we learned in Abraisa. Someone owns a thousand money and he owns a very, very expensive jacket worth a hundred money. Okay, it says, We take off his fancy jacket, we make him sell it and start paying off his debt. And we put a regular jacket on him. Get him a regular jacket. It says, Rabbi Yishmol and Rabbi Akiva say you can't force him to sell that jacket. All Jews deserve to wear such a fancy jacket. So you know what it is? He has a Giorgio Armani or something like that, winter coat. Um, you can't tell him 
So according to the Tanakama, we'll tell him to sell it and start paying off his debt. And you know what? He can get a regular Woolworths coat or something like that. Comes along Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Shmuel and they say, no, he's a Jew. He's royal to wear such a fancy coat and therefore it's almost an essential and you can't make him sell it to buy a cheaper one. Yes, Basil. I think I mentioned it before. This has come up quite often. Yeah. If they call Yisrael a Bnei Malachi. Yeah. And so you have to... I mentioned to Jabotinsky in his books. He writes every Jew is a prince. Yeah. It wasn't really... They showed you they, they learned. Although they weren't religious. Vladimir yeah. Jabotinsky. He writes always about every Jew is a prince. It comes from the Gomorrah, obviously. Yeah. No, so we've seen this concept quite often. Um, B'nai Israel, B'nai Malochim. I mean, Hashem says, You're a nation of Kohanim and, and holy. So there is a degree of that. And uh, we kind of have to bear ourselves, obviously not in an arrogant way, but with the responsibilities of royalty um, as representatives and the children of Hashem. Um, and so we do. We, this concept pops up quite a few times. You have to look in the, each context exactly how it translates into our lives. Um, but um, yeah, but there is this concept. Okay, chavile kash v'chavili etc. So the bride is going to basically bring the mission again. So ton rabbanon chavile kash v'chavile etzim v'chavile isrodim. Um, these bundles of straw and wood and uh, soft twigs, if you designated them as they're not mutz and metatlin or something, you can move them. If not, then you can't move them. Because normally, why would people have these things? For firewood. Firewood is mukta. So therefore, you can't move it. But if you had it, you were keeping a bundle of wood to feed a certain. I don't know, your woodpecker or something like that, then you would be allowed to, you designate it for animals, then it would not be mutsarib. This is going back to the, the whole underlying premise of the Mishnah is Tirchi Yaseris. He says, if it's something that you could carry in one hand, you're allowed to move it. But if it needs two hands to carry it, well, then it's an excessive effort, and it, you would not be allowed to move it on Shabbos. These certain things, Seya, Ezov, and Kurnis, if you gather them on, if you gather them for firewood, then you'd not be allowed to use them on Shabbos. But if you gather them for animal food, well then, they're not mutz and you can use them on Shabbos. You're allowed to cut them by hand, but not with the kli. Rashi points out, is that cutting these things, they would normally cut these very finely with the kli. So if you cut these things, it's like grinding. Remember, we learned earlier in the Masechta that grinding is not just pounding, some, putting something through a mincer or a grinder or pounding it with a pestle and mortar. It's even cutting something very finely. So if you would cut these with the kli, it would be like, brown, uh, like uh, grinding, but you can break them by hand. You also, you can't, um, how you, the way to get them out of their shells, I'm not sure exactly these different types of foods, you would rub them or rub them with a kli and then like, like roll them over with a kli or something and it breaks off the shell, the peel. So he says you're allowed to do it in your hand, but not a lot at, not with the kli a lot at once. That's Rabbi the Chacham say you're not even allowed to do it in your palm like you would often do during the weekday. You have to do it with the ends of your fingers and not a lot at once. This is restricting it even more. And that would apply with Amisa, Pagin and all other types of spices. These restrictions of cutting it and how you moil it, roll it in your hand or your finger to get the things out. Again, those are not a problem of Mutza, they're a problem with grinding or um, this moilel is like threshing because you're breaking the food out of the out of the what's it called the chaff out of the chaff now the Gemara is just going to ask what exactly these are as I pointed out it's often hard to define the fruits and vegetables and things like that mentioned in the Gemara so just rem- I'll just mention one of them but the others will just read through my imsa ninja what's amisa 
So that many say Ninya is mint. Say what say Omar Yehuda Sisri. Azov, what's Azov? Avarta. Kornis, what's Kornis? Kurnisa Shemo, what we call Kurnisa. Oh, but there was a merchant who was saying, who wants Kurnisa? Who wants Kurnisa? And they went to see what he was selling, and he was selling Chashai. This is Ella Sia Tirsi, Azovabrasa, and Kurnisa Chashi. Okay, so that's what these different types of things are that were mentioned. Itmar, it was taught, carrying on with the alochas of Mutza, and now we're touching on Mutza regards to something that wouldn't normally be eaten by a person. Now, just before we go further, something to keep in mind, we actually mentioned it earlier in the Masechta, but there's a big machloikes, Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Shimon, to the degree that the Gomorrah calls it Rabbi Yehuda holds for Mutza, and Rabbi Shimon does not hold for Mutza. And obviously Rabbi Shimon agrees there's muksa. It's just the underlying premise of what makes something muksa or not is what they argue on. Now one of the principles that they argue on is what happens if you have something that's generally used for one thing. Let's say you have a, some fancy steak or ribs in your fridge. Now that's generally used as human food. You're not going to give your ribs to your dog. So let's say, and it's raw. So according to Rabbi Yehuda, that would be muktzah because it's normally for a person, even though a dog would eat it very happily because it's raw, can't really, and therefore it would most likely be a contributor, be muktzah. But according to Rabbi Shimon, no, it is fitting for something. It is fitting for dog food. And therefore it's not muktzah. So again, this is something that would normally be designated, it would normally be used for a specific use. Since Rabbi Yehuda would hold its muktza, Rabbi Shimon, sorry, Rabbi Yehuda would hold its muktza even though it could be used for something else. And Rabbi Shimon holds in that case it's not muktza. So, so keep that machloikes in the back of your mind while we go through the next piece. So itmar basameliach mutelatatav Shabbos, salted meat. You can move on Shabbos. Now this salting, remember, you're not allowed to eat meat before you've salted because you have to salt the meat to get the blood out. Basor tofuach. If it's unsalted, or basar tofel, Rav Huna Omar muta latatlo, and Rav Chizda Omar also latatlo. Rav Huna says you're allowed to move it, and Rav Chizda says you're not allowed to move it. Rav Huna says you're allowed to move it, as many comment, um, commentaries explain, and we'll see that you are allowed to move, like Rabbi Shimon holds, you can move muktzah things on Shabbos, and just because you would normally keep that unsalted steak for yourself, you're just going to salt it after Shabbos, and then eat it for yourself, it could be given to your animal. So it's not mukta. Whereas Rav Chizda would most likely be going like Rabbi Yehuda, Yehuda, that no, since it's meant for people and not for animals, even though it could theoretically be given to an animal, since a person can't eat it on Shabbos because he's not allowed to salt it on Shabbos, it is mukta. Rav Huna, Amma Mutala Tatla Baha Rav Huna, Tamid Rav Habeiv, Rav Kreb Yudas, Fira Lei, Isle Muksa. says, why would Rav hold you're allowed to move this raw, this raw meat on Shabbos, this unsalted meat on Shabbos? He's a Talmud of Rav, and Rav Paskin's like Rebbe Yehuda. So he says, no, B'muksa Lech, L'Achila, Sovalok Rebbe Yehuda, B'muksa L'Tatla, Sovalok Rebbe Shimon. Nah, he holds that regarding eating these items, we consider them Muksa, but in regards to move them, he holds like Rabbi Shimon that you can. So it comes out very interesting. You have this, I mean, here it's a hard one to define. But let's say, I'm trying to think what the scenario would be. You have, it's just started to, you're making biltong and it's just started to turn into biltong. So it's mukta because you're not going to leave, you're not going to eat it yet. It's a bit too raw. Could be eaten, but you're not going to eat it yet because it's a bit too raw. And theoretically, your dog would love it if you gave it to him. So according to Rabbi Yehuda, it's mukta because it's meant for you. But And Rav Paskin's like Rabbi Yehuda, therefore it's mukta and you're not allowed to eat it. Again, it's just starting to turn into biltong. So you could with a little bit of effort. And theoretically, I guess you could eat raw meat. So you could eat it. So Rabbi Yehuda would hold, it's mukta and you're not allowed to eat it. But they would pass in like Rabbi Shimon that you're still allowed to move that meat because it could be 
given to your animals. Rav Chizda Omar also the Tatlo Ho Rav Yitzchak Bar Ami Iklele Bar Rav Chizda. Rav Chizda really holds you allowed to move this meat that you're not allowed to move this meat. Says Vaho when Rav Chizda Barimi went to the house of Rav Chizda Vachahu Bar Abza to have a commentatle mishim shalatula. Vomar Rav Chizda Chisron Kis Kochazin and Hacha. Um, Rav Chizda was allowing them to move some of this meat, this unsalted meat, from the sun to the from the sun to the shade, saying this duck meat, saying we're going to lose out if we don't eat it, if we don't move it, it's going to go off, and we're going to lose out. Therefore, you're allowed to move it. But that, didn't Rav Chizda just say that raw meat is mutza? So, oh, sorry, unsalted meat is mutza. It is shiny bar anza the chazil umza. Nah, duck meat can be eaten raw. Now, Tosfos bring out a very interesting point from here. What do, but, what, but our whole issue, why was it mutzah according to us? Why were we saying it's mutzah? Besides for eating meat raw, it was unsalted and you're not, it's not kosher while there's blood in it. So Tosfos want to bring a proof from here. There's a big discussion. Um, there's different types of blood. If you look in the halachas in Chulin, there's different types of blood. There's the blood that gushes out at the time of shchita, or the blood that pulls in certain parts of the body, like the cavities of the heart, etc. That's much stricter. That blood you couldn't eat. But blood that like sits in a piece of meat, it only becomes osseous blood if it separates from that piece of meat. If it remains in that piece of meat, theoretically, it's not blood that is also you can eat it so therefore theoretically what what we're saying in theory you could cut shech the cow cut out the steak and eat it straight away or let's rinse off that steak and eat it straight away even though there's still blood in that meat because the blood remained inside the meat the problem starts to come um, or to occur when you want to cook it, because when you cook it, the blood's going to go out of the meat into the pot, then back into the meat, etc. Or you're frying, etc. So that's why we have to make sure to have our meat salted. But theoretically, Tosos want to say from here, you see that blood that while it's still in the animal's dame blood that's still in the limbs, is mutar. Okay, that's a side point that Tosos bring out from here. Then the Gemara says, Salted fish, you can move. It's edible. Dag tofel, but unsalted fish is osilatadro. Bosor bain tofel, bain miliat mutilatadro. But meat, whether it is unsalted or salted, you can move it. Ton rabon and metatlinus at somos me play shuhu machalaklovim. You can move bones because they are fit for dogs. Bosor tofuach me play shuhu machalakaya. Rotting meat is fit for a chaya. A wilder animal that you might own. Mayim Gulin, uncovered water. Remember, we're not allowed to drink uncovered water. You're also not allowed to give it to your animals because of the snake poison that might be in it. So why are you allowed to? Because it is fit for a cat. Cats, we see, eat snakes. Therefore, clearly, they're not affected by their poison. Um, and therefore, they can drink the water. If Mugano says, no, you're not even allowed to keep my Magulin because of the Sakana Kudarav. You leave a jug of water on the side, you have in mind that it's for your cat. And you don't, that's why it's left there. Someone else doesn't know, they might come and drink it. Or you put it in the cat's bowl, your animal, your dog might walk by and drink it. So therefore, it, you're not even allowed to keep it. Okay, so this next Mishnah is actually leniencies in the halachos of muktza to save an animal from suffering. Okay, that's what the underlying theme of the next mission is. You can turn a basket upside down so that um, animal uh, little chicks can use it as a stepping as a step to go up and down. Um, the chidush of this is that you're generally not allowed to move a clee for something that is muksa. And all animals are muksa. So chicks would be muksa. But here, because they'll suffer if they can't get in and out of their home, you can turn this basket over as a step for them. Okay, that's one way of learning. If a chicken runs away, you can push it until it goes back home. If you let your chickens roam around, they're going to get uh, knocked over. Eaten, you know, something bad could happen to them. So you can uh, push them back in. And you can, um, calves and uh, goats, etc., you can actually medadadin. Medadadin is guard, but it can be like quite uh, strong guarding, as I'll, sh- I'll show you the next example. It's 
A woman's allowed to medades her, her son. And this little uh, mother going walking with a one and a half year old child, and all of a sudden he decides he's too tired to walk and in the Rishus Harabim. So she can medaded him, like hold him under his arms and help him walk. Look, as long as he's able to put one foot before the other. But if she's dragging him along, okay, that's problematic. But we see Medadian is quite like taking hold of the thing and half, half carrying it. You're just making it walk along. So you're allowed to medadate calves and siachim. We'll see the main distinction by a rooster is as soon as you, or chicken, as soon as you start to push this rooster or chicken, it jumps up and like half flies. And therefore you're going to end up carrying muksa, which they didn't allow. And this, but these calves and stuff, unless you actually pick them off the ground, they're not going to go into the air. So you can really medadate them. You can really like wrap your arms around them, hold them quite firmly and guard them home. Obviously, again, you're not allowed to carry them. I'll mention a point on that a bit later. It says, Omar Rav Yehuda, Omar Rav, Rav Yehuda, send the name of Rav, Bahamish and Ofla, Lama Samayim, what happens if an animal falls into a stream? So maybe, Korim Tachtel, you can bring these pillows and cushions and put them under it. So that it uses them to walk and climb out of the string. We also, also, if it gets out, it will get out and that's good. Again, it's going to suffer, might drown, get sick if you leave it in water the whole of Shabbos. So you're allowed to put these pillows again in a way that you're now going to have trouble to move them. Are the different reasons? Some say because the animal is going to walk on them, which when he's on them, they're mukta. Or uh, they're going to be full of water, so you can't really use them for the rest of Shabbos, so you're making them mukta. Whatever exactly the problem is, to save the animal suffering, you're allowed to put it there. Now the Gemara challenges this. It says, If there's an animal that's fallen into a stream, you can give it food and whatever it needs to sustain, so while it's there, so it doesn't die. It sounds like all you're allowed to do is give it some food there, but you wouldn't be allowed to put pillows, etc., so to help it climb out. Put a mattress so that it can get good grip and climb out. No, the case is where it will be able to survive with just giving it food. And the second case is where it would not survive. If it's able to survive, then you give it food. So it's, it's in water. It's not going to drown. It just needs a little bit of food. So put some food by it and you'll get it out after Shabbos. If it's not going to survive left in the water till Motzei Shabbos, then you bring these pillows and cushions to help it out. But you are making a kli unusable. We learned early in the Masechta, one of the things, you're not allowed to put a kli in a way that you wouldn't be allowed to use it on Shabbos. For example, remember we learned you're not allowed to put a kli to catch dripping oil, mutz oil. Because then that kli, some learn it as stira, you're breaking the kli because now you can't use it for the rest of Shabbos, it's mukta. And others learn it as it's boine because you're building it into the table or the ground, wherever you're putting it, because you can't move it for the rest of Shabbos, so you're like sticking it there. Whatever the exact issue is, you're not allowed to make a kli unusable on Shabbos by putting mukta in. Now, this Isur of Mavatal Kli Mechono is only Isur Drabonon. Tsar Balechayim is Isur Doraisa. And therefore, the Doraisa pushes aside the Drabonon. Okay, obviously, it's a Machloikes in um, Baba Metzia where the Tsar Balechayim is Doraisa Drabonon. This is in the opinion that Tsar Balechayim is actually. Is the Orisa. I think that's how we pass it. I must actually check it out. Um, therefore, it seems not only to not cause an animal distress, that would definitely be transgressing Sarbalechaim, um, but even to help an animal out of distress is also part of the mitzvah of Sarbalechaim. Right, so you see, a, so obviously you're not allowed to do something to an animal. That's a more clear example of Tzarbalech, of the Isra of Tzarbalechaim, but it seems from here that you're also allowed, to, must do stuff to relieve an animal of its uh, pain and suffering. Um, help it out of the water, etc. Just one second, one second. Yeah, so your dog falls in the swimming... Oh, so there's an interesting Mishnah, uh, the Bera Locha discusses. I don't want to go into the details now. It's got a, a big discussion on it. What happens if the animal's not going to survive if you just put pillows there? So there's this, something's fallen into the pool or 
an animal's fallen into the pool or it's fallen into the stream and just putting a mattress there, that's not going to help the animal get out. Are you actually allowed to pick it up? So that's a discussion. I didn't get a chance to look into it in detail, but that's a big discussion whether you're allowed to pick it up where these methods aren't sufficient. I'm just giving it food to Monte Shambas. Or... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, obviously. Yeah, so that I mean that that, that that so they're good grounds. I think they're good grounds to say you can pick it up. The the difficulty is this Gomorrah never discusses that. It discusses as far as helping it out, but not actually moving the mutza yourself. So that's that's a little bit of a difficulty. But yeah, that would seem to be that locker. Interesting discussion. What's the source at Sarbalachim is Doraisa? So the one source is Azov Azov Imo. If you see an animal struggling under its load, this is what Rashi brings here, you have to help unload it. That's the mitzvah to save it from Sarbalachim. Um, another source given is uh, is Lo Tachtom Shobadisha. You're not allowed to thresh with your donkey and your ox together. Again, they have different ways of moving, different, uh, the, they bring that the ox chews the cut and the donkey doesn't, so it's going to think it's friends getting food, and it's not, it's stressful for the animal, so it's you're not allowed to plow them together. And I heard a very interesting one uh, last night, that the Sefer Hasidim, that's from one of the Rishonim, he writes that the Tsar Balechaim is, Bilam's donkey said to him, why are you hitting me? From a few weeks ago, he says, well, what do you mean? Isn't someone allowed to just hit the animal? No, it's the Isra of Tsar Balechaim. So that's what the donkey said to Bilam, why are you hitting me? Okay, um, carrying on. Tanagodesh Eborcho, if a chicken runs away, doichin in meididin lo. We said you can push a chicken to get it home, but you can't... Uh, um, you can't actually guard it. This would be very practical. Your dog... I mean, this mission is very practical. Your dog runs out the gate. And if you leave it to run out the gate, it's going to run into the road, it's going to get knocked by a car, might run away, and then it's going to starve. So you are allowed to, this is our mission, you're allowed to help get it home. What are you allowed to do? So if it's a rooster, you can only push it, you can't guard it. It says, you're allowed to help guard in a courtyard, but not a Tarnagolis. Tarnagolis, my time alone, why not buy a chicken? Says, because it lifts itself up and you end up carrying it, which is more problematic. We learned in one price that you can guide. Again, remember, God, I said, it's like half carrying it. Like you can wrap your arms around it, hold it firmly and push it, like force it along. Um, again, just not picking it up. So you can do that for an animal, a chaya and a bird in a courtyard, but not in a Rishus HaRabim. And a woman can guide her son in Rishus HaRabim and obviously in a courtyard. Um, I'll come back to the woman to mention a point. But Tanya Idich ein oikrin behema... But you're not allowed to pick up an animal or a chayr or oif in a courtyard, but you can push them until they go in. You said that you can't pick it up, but you can um, guide it. And then you said you can push it, but you can't guard it. Which implies you can push it, but not guard it. Says no, Amr Abaya safe asan and Tanagolis. No, the safer which says you can only push it is um, regarding a chicken. As we've said, chicken are different. Amr Abaya whole man to Yeah, a related aloha. Abaya says that someone who's shechting a Tanagolis, a chicken, like he must push his legs to the ground, or hold it in the air. Because what a mark do is clip, is reach its claws into the ground and pull itself away. And when you're doing the shechita, you'll come to tear the simanim as opposed to slice them. And that's a not kosher shechita. So this din with the chicken must be done in a very specific way. Um, yeah, so one thing, just with the mother and it, so, so Rishus Harabim is more problematic because if you do pick it up and carry it, that's, it's a Doraisa. So therefore they're a bit stricter. But a Chotzer, remember our Rishus Harabim, we gen, well, we have an Eruv, so that's different. So there wouldn't be that problem. So the only problem that we have to worry about is Mutza. So you're not really allowed to carry your dog or, uh, 
carry your other animals, but you could really guide them just like a mother who would help her child who's just learning to walk, walk along by half, half, half holding it up, but it's also walking along its feet. That would be permitted. I mean, a mother can, um, but again, remember the mother, this leniency with the mother was even in Rosh Hashanah, even in a public domain. The leniency there is, according, is because this is all in the opinion that we hold. We view a person as carrying itself, and, there, me, and therefore it's only an to carry a child in a Rosh Hashanah. So therefore, if the mother is guarding the child along and she accidentally comes to pick it up and carry it, it's only Isidra Bonin, so we're more lenient there. But now where we live, where in an Eruv, it's even, it's not, wouldn't, that discussion wouldn't come into play. Um, okay, next Mishnah. You're not allowed to help birth an animal on Yom Tov. Shutting this, it seems as farmers would often have to stretch their hand into the womb to help pull out the animal. You're not allowed to do that on Yom Tov. Aval Masadin, you can help, you can assist. Okay, that seems, we'll see in the Gomorrah what it means to assist the animal give birth on Shabbos. Let's assume that it's an Isudoraisa, just to make the rest of the Sukkiah easier. It's not how Rashi seems to learn, but let's assume it's an Isudoraisa to help... Um, birth an animal on Shabbos. Okay, meyald, however, umeyald in esaisha be Shabbos, you can help a woman give birth on Shabbos, and you can call a midwife from one place to the next, even if you have to get her from the next town and she has to cross through the trum, you break Shabbos for a woman giving birth, you're allowed to tie the umbilical cord, so it's not just dangling around, obviously after you've cut it from the mother, um, and Rabbi Yossi Oimer, you can even cut it. And all the needs of Mila you can do on Shabbos. Um, a woman who's in labor is viewed as a a woman who's dangerously ill. So obviously you can do anything you need to do for her. We'll clarify some of these dinim in the Gemara. What's the discussion regarding tying the umbilical cord? So they're concerned that if the child has this umbilical cord lying around, it might get yanked. And it can cause severe damage to the child's uh, intestines, etc. So therefore you can, according to Rabbi Yossi, it's sufficient. Um, according to the Tanakam, it's sufficient if you just tie it up. And therefore it's not hanging around too much. According to Rabbi Yossi, that's still dangerous. And therefore you even cut it. Okay. Um, the Gemara says, What does it mean, help an animal? So Rabbi Huramar, As the Vlad, the fetus, the animal is coming out, catch it or hold it so it doesn't fall onto the ground. Rav Nachman Omar Push in the flesh in certain ways to help the animal come out. Tanya Kabai says the Rav Yehuda there's a brisa in line with Rav Yehuda how can you help it? It says you can catch it so it doesn't fall onto the ground blow into its uh, nostrils to clear it from the mucus and place the teat in of its mother's teat in its mouth so that it suckles that's all helping the 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 um the newly born animal says you even increase the compassion of the mother for the child Sometimes, for whatever reason, the mother doesn't seem to want to be close to the child, the kind of rejects it. So Rabbi Shem Gamil says, you're allowed to do these things to make them bond again. He says, so what do they do? So he says, so, sorry, so Omar Ashbag, Merachmim Hayinu al we would help increase the animal's love for its young on Yom Tov, if it's a kosher animal. Hey, Ovid, what would you do? So Omar Abaya, Abaya said, maybe you take a lump of salt and place it in the animal's womb and that burning from the salt reminds it of the labor that it's been through and it has mercy on its child. Or you um, pour the afterbirth onto the, the some of the liquid from the afterbirth onto the child and it smells it and it feels more affection for his child. But Dafka Tahirab, this is specifically by a kosher animal. Aval but not for a non-kosher animal. Says my timer, why can't you do this? You can do it for a kosher animal. Why can't you do it for a non-kosher animal? Your dog gives birth, your 
donkey gives birth, etc. Why can't you do it for non-kosher animals? So he says, firstly, we don't really find that non-kosher animals reject their children. It seems it's a feature unique to kosher animals that, once, that they sometimes reject their children. It says, and if for whatever reason it does reject its child, either unlikely scenario where this non-kosher animal does reject its child, it won't bring its child close. There's nothing you can do to make it once it's rejected, it's child that's rejected it. It's not going to ever, what's it, re, uh, um, re, uh, start to love it again. Okay, now let's start the halachas. These are very important halachas, obviously regarding giving birth, helping a woman in labor, and in general halachas regarding pikuach nefesh. So, once the Mishnah told us you can help this woman give birth, which remember, as I said, let's assume it's a Isudoraisa, and you can also call a midwife from across the, from another side of the country, even though she has to cross through the Tchum, etc. Why does it have to come along and then say, and you can break Shabbos for her? What's that coming to include? She says, If she requires a candle, you can light a candle for her. Again, as we point, yeah. It says, If she needs oil, if they need to rub oil on her, her friend can carry it in her hand. If it's not going to be enough in her hand, the friend can bring it in her hair. If it's not going to be enough in her hair, she can even carry it in a clee. Now, so that's the brisa. Um, interesting enough, this carrying the, the oil, obviously we're referring to carrying it from a Rishus Harabim into Rishus Hayochit. She can run to her, oh, we need this, I'll run to my home and get it, and carry it through the Rishush Aramim, to bring it to her. That's again, all these Isurei Doraisa you're allowed to do for this woman who's in labor. It says, Well, obviously, if the woman needs a candle, obviously you can light it for her. As we've said, she's a Choyle, you can do anything that's necessary. It's dark, and they need to see what's going on, so they can switch on the light. Obviously. It says, no, we're speaking about a blind woman. The woman who's in labor is blind, since it's not going to help her at all, it might be also to put on the candle. Kamash Melana comes to teach us Asuva Miyasvadarta. It calms her down. And Sfora, she thinks she thinks that they can see if there's something I need and they can do it for me. I so therefore this is a, an amazing heter. It calms her down. She feels she, knowing that there's good light in the room, even though she can't see. She says she feels she'll get better treatment. It calms her down. It relaxes her, and therefore we allow her to do this. This is a famous shuvah. I think around the 1950s, Rav Moshe Feinstein was asked, "Can let's a woman's going in labor on Shabbos and she's going to the hospital by taxi and she wants her husband to come with her." So Ramosha discusses it quite a lot back and forth. I was thinking, what's really even the issue? But again, the thing is, he can't do anything. The taxi driver is going to get her there. And that's, it is, it is. There's nothing he can do. So Ramosha Fansin says, since it's Asuve Data, says, I can't go. He has a few questions on it. He says, but I can't, uh, I can't go machmir in pikach nefesh. And therefore, I'm going to allow it. And therefore, even where the husband, obviously if you the husband driving her to the hospital is essential, but even if she's going by Uber or taxi or something like that, the hus- if it will make her feel better, the husband can go with her. Um, yeah, and other, other achronim are even more straightforward that the husband must go with her if it makes her feel better, etc. Um, yeah, there's another very interesting machlokes rishonim that's brought up in these discussions in the poskim is... Are you allowed to do anything for the choyle that you would do during the week? Anything at all, even if it's a visitor, or only things that seem to have a direct uh, correlation to the, that seem more directly necessary for her? I don't know, let's say uh, in the week they, you make the choyle a cup of tea. You boil water and make a fresh cup of tea. So you're allowed to make them a fresh cup of tea on Shabbos. Like that sort of thing. It's not really you. It's not really clearly, or you can't tell that it helps the choyle. 
But since some hold, since that's what you would do for the Choyle Posakana in this case during the week, you can even do it on Shabbos. Others hold, no, it has to be slightly more clearly apparent. Let's just do one more line. Um, we said if she needs oil, so if she can get enough oil there by carrying it in the palm of her hand, again, that's an unusual way of the malacha, so it's better to do it in an unusual way. If that's not going to be enough oil, let her put oil oil in her hair, and when she gets to the the labor room, she can just squeeze it out of her hair. But then you come on to schitter, squeezing out. You know, you're not allowed to squeeze uh, liquids out of the uh, thing. So wait, so that's it. Yeah, so... But again, so you've so granted you haven't done the Isidorais of carrying because you've done it in an unusual manner, but now you're going to do another Isidorais of Schitta. So what's the point? What, what have you gained? One Doraiz over the other. So rather, there's no Schitta with hair. Um... Yeah, Ravashi, Omar Ravashi says, Even if you want to go in the opinion that there is Chita Bashar, maybe Loba Kli, Derek Sa'ara, you can bring it in a Kli, it means bring it in a Kli tied in her hair. Right? So take a small jar and tie that into her hair, and that's what it means. To come to actually Shinui As any way that it's possible to do it with the Shinui, we do it with the Shinui. Another important line. Granted, you're doing Yisurei Doraisa, where it's for, where possible, do it with a shinui. Now that's also quite a contentious thing. One is, some say, firstly, that this is only by women in, laid, in, in labor because that's a natural scenario. So therefore, where possible, do it in an unusual way. But any other choyle she'eshposakona, do it in the normal way. That's the one, that's a discussion. That's a discussion. Or do we say for any choyle she'eshposakona, where possible, do it in an unusual way. But the important, important disclaimer, this is obviously not where it's going to delay it or make it harder to do. We don't tell the doctor, where possible, use your left hand to do the stitches or something like that. Never. If it's harder, if it might take longer, anything like that, chas for shalom, you go and do it in the quickest, most efficient way possible. But if it's a difference of uh, where it actually will make no difference whether you do it in a regular way or an irregular way or an unusual way, then we say do it in an unusual way. Just this Ein Schitter Basar is very interesting. Firstly, um, many hold it still a Isudra Bonin. So not Isudra but it's still Isudra Bonin. That's how they learn from the Rambam. Okay, but that's um, that's Torah Hyun. And then it has a few practical ramifications. One is even according to those who say you can shower on Yom Tov, in hot water, etc., or where you're allowed to go in water on Shabbos or Yom Tov, you run into trouble, many posts can bring, you run into trouble with the hair. Because granted, it's not an Isudra so it could still be an Isudra Bonin. There are other poskim who are still lenient with um, showering, etc. on Yom Tov and things like that. And then there's another factor, another interesting scenario where this comes up is brushing teeth. One of the problems with putting water on your toothbrush and then uh, shaking it out or brushing your teeth is you're doing schritta, you're squeezing the water out of the toothbrush. So some are strict with that as well. Others are more lenient and say toothbrushes like hair. It's not that the, the oil doesn't get absorbed into the hair. It kind of goes between the hairs. Because they're too hard. Rashi, Rashi uses the language... Um, uh, I don't remember. It's hard and it doesn't really absorb. Something stuck in it. So, so, so too with the bristles of a toothbrush. They're hard and they don't really absorb. So that's, a, that's a inter- another interesting discussion connected to this uh, piece of... Uh, Ein Schitter Besar. Okay, and we'll continue tomorrow. We'll leave it there for today.